You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1209, I think we're up to, and it is going to be entitled, uh, now, rather laborious title for today, so let me take a breath, Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Crystal, because we're going to be talking about Doctor Who. The arachnid story. Mm-hmm. So, and also uh, Daredevil and Halloween as well. Yes, yay! Our podcast title is Laurie Pode, which will kind of make sense when we talk about Halloween. And speaking of podcasts, I'd like to welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, Kayla Larson, who is our new podcaster. Um, replacing Joe Alcinador, uh, who did a sterling job over the years. And just a thanks to all of the podcasters over the years for Zero G, put in so much hard work, including Ian Bennington, amongst others. And thank you very much. It's not a thankless task. We just thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, what have you been up to? Oh, I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what have you been up to, Megan? Well, I actually, I was just saying um, before the show started, I said, oh, Rob, I actually haven't been watching Daredevil because I've been watching some of the new Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Is this the um, Sabrina from Bewitched? No. So, it's, so, so that's Tabitha. All yes. Right. Wrong franchise. <laughs> so this is kind of the um, Archie comic-esque oh, ones, and it's the darker version. Has it got any um, connection to Riverdale? Yes. So I think they're looking to do a little bit of maybe crossover there. They've mentioned oh. the town of Riverdale, like a little throwaway line. I've only watched a couple of episodes. Where can you find it? It's on Netflix at the moment. Uh-huh. And from what I can tell, all the episodes are there ready to go. Um, so, yeah, I think I will continue on with that because I've liked what I've seen so far. Uh-huh. And, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting take and it's very different to the Sabrina the Teenage Witch that was kind of on TV when I was growing up. And it's in, it's sort of intended to be a darker look, kind of how Riverdale's meant to be darker, Archie. Like, that's up for debate. What's the cat <laughs> called? Uh, Salem. Salem. So, I remember that series. Yes. So think of that series and then think of the opposite, and it is uh, the opposite. But uh, quite enjoyable. Bit of dark stuff, a little bit violent, a little bit gory, but still very much firmly in the teen realm of uh, things. Sorry. Um, I, supernatural, teen, procedure, teen procedurals, I just... I, I, I think it's... Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, what kind of ones are you thinking of that you're a bit tired of? Um, I'm not tired of Buffy, but then... Buffy isn't I around anymore. I think it's also. trying to do... I mean, it and Riverdale, I think, are trying to do a different thing where they're trying to be a bit more... They're trying to take wholesome tropes and make them edgy. I think that's kind of <laughs> what their logline okay. is, like with the Archie stuff and then now the Sabrina stuff. So, I mean, look, it's ridiculous, but it's also quite fun. So, Look, I have to flush my brain out and just and think, um, apart from regular maintenance, mm. of course, I have to think that... Every new generation comes to each of these things fresh. Yeah. And I will not go into the boring old fart mode of I've seen that so many times before. <laughs> I won't because I'll watch it and have a look. If it's, if it's any good, if it's stand on its own. I'll I'd be very keen. I mean, it's, I take on what you're saying for sure is that, I mean, this is well-trodden ground. Hmm. Um, 
But I think there's some fresh angles in there. So I'd be actually interested if you wanted to take a look at it. An episode or two. I will have a shot at it. And we can debate. We'll probably end up both agreeing. (laughs) That happens quite a lot. But... Uh, In the same kind of vein, there's an animated show that's like 10, 11 minutes long. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's on iView at the moment, on ABC iView. It's called Gary and His Demons. And it's about... (laughs) We are at opposite ends of the spectrum. A middle-aged demon hunter who can't retire from his job as a chosen one. Oh, wow. This looks fun. Until he finds a replacement. And there's nothing but slacker teens around, so, you know, that might take a while. He's, he's teamed up with an eager rookie and, as I said, animated series, very short. Mm. I'm actually finding it quite hilarious. It's, it's an adult show pretty much. Well, they say over, over the age of 16 or something. Uh, so there are adult concepts and language and lots and lots of slaying. And he's, he's quite hilarious. He's got this irritating voice. He's got a comb over of basically two strands of hair. And wow. He has a magic sword and when he holds it up and shouts something he the the bits of the armor come onto him and it's like it's a, it's like sailor moon <laughs> oh i love it oh yeah there's a little picky here of him yeah. holding up his it, it, it cracked me up one of the episodes i watched a few episodes <laughs> one of the early ones has him um facing the the trope of the the oh. the the teen summoned mirror demon. Oh. So if you go up to the mirror and you say the yeah. demon's name twenty five times, oh, that's quite that's a commitment. Not twenty four times, <laughs> twenty five. Uh, the demon will appear, and and the one that appears in in the episode I saw has hooks for hands, and hooks for feet, and consequently has a little bit of difficulty getting around in the in the storyline. But and also has this. Um, strange distracting passion for youtube makeup videos because he preys on teens and he sees a lot of the videos watch. <laughs> i love a good youtube beauty video ref so you can distract him by showing the youtube videos it's like oh is that the one with the crystalline uh, sparkle yeah <laughs> this looks great uh, and actually that same episode they counter that demon with a, a traditional Mirror summon demon Bloody Mary, which oh, yes. I've encountered well her in. Known, yes. Yeah, some supernatural brothers have killed her at least six times, you know. And, and she's actually contemptuous of the new guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Trying to horn in on her territory. <laughs> so that's the kind of um, the cut of Gary and his demons. It's on iView for ABC, of course. Cool. Uh, and, and I liked it because it was just short, sort of. It's a little sort of mini My dwindling episode. attention span. Cool. So, I guess. All right. Um, we'll uh, hit you with um, Daredevil Season 3 now. Yes. Um, it slid into our uh, Netflix playlist with little fanfare. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Mm. Uh, and this is in the wake of um, the cancellation of both Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Yes. Um, and I actually do mourn both of those now because I, I thought Iron Fist Season 2 was actually pretty good mm. and I've always liked Luke Cage. Um, but, uh, you know, here's the uh, the founding member of the MCU Defenders, or the original one, because Daredevil started first as the yes. Netflix shows. Yep. Uh, and, he, and it's also we're in that grey area of what's going to happen when the Disney mm. streaming channel starts up. 
and you know that 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 sort of are they going to take all of their Marvel verse stuff? And it's very complicated. Uh, okay, but uh, anyway, having survived a building collapsing on him in the Defenders series, which we knew was going to happen, we knew it was going to happen, and they deal with that so quickly. Oh yeah, and you don't want to mess around with <laughs> that just like, stuff. Flip off off the page. Let's get on with things. Matt Murdock and his superhero alter ego Daredevil are drawn back into the fight to save New York's Hell's Kitchen Burrow when his nemesis, Wilson Fisk, kingpin of crime, Mm. is taken out of prison and placed in a safe house as part of a deal with the FBI. They're hoping to get information. FBI and their deals. Yeah. Uh, Of course, this is uh, Marvel Television in association with ABC Studios, Mm -hmm. and it's on Netflix. And Eric Olsen is the showrunner, and we know him from doing... um, a procedural show called Unforgettable and also the uh, superhero series Arrow. So he's gone from oh, DC to Marvel. Interesting. And, of course, the series creator, Drew Goddard, who we were talking about last week for bad times at the El Royale, yes. is the consultant for the show. Still, we've got Charlie Cox as uh, battling Matt Murdock. Oh, actually, that's his dad. Mm-hmm. But um, And Vincent, and I always have trouble with this guy's name, Vincent Dion... D'Onofrio? Uh, D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio portraying Wilson Fisk. And uh, a lot of the other series regulars are back to, well, any surviving ones from last time. Gosh. It's a bit like that, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, season three. um, It's great, actually. Really full on. Charlie Cox has made his Daredevil role. That's really his own. I I now see Daredevil. And you know that they're doing um, the character right when... It fits with your idea of what the comic book character should be. That's great. Uh, and he's writing his own changes on it too, which I like. Yeah. Um, he's always felt good in that role, I think. Yeah. He, they, I think they nailed that one from the, from the get-go. Um, Matt's crisis of faith is in himself, mm. uh, in his friends, Ooh. and in his powers too. Oh, dear. Yeah, it looks very uh, moody, even from the first... I've only watched a couple. Moody for Daredevil. But it does. (laughs) Like, I mean, they're very straight off the bat. They're like, this is his crisis of faith trajectory, like, that we're going on now. Uh, He's tested against the seemingly unstoppable Wilson Fisk in this Mm -hmm. one, and and Fisk has been the best of the Daredevil. He's a great villain. And, in fact, one of the MCU's best, too. Yeah. So many shades of white <laughs> in the case of the, his iconic suits. Um, Matt's helped by his old friends in the Catholic Church because he has a history there. Yes. Uh, uh, including a, um, a nun called Maggie Grace, which is mm-hmm. just about the most cliched name you could possibly have. But never so she stays around. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. good. I liked their dynamic. Yes. He gets on quite – he has an interesting um, – complicated relationship with the priests yeah. and the nuns and it's going to get even more interesting in this season. I could see they were setting some stuff up there. Mm. But. Uh, I, I thought that, uh, once again, Charlie Cox, uh, he embodies the physicality and the choreography of mm. Daredevil too. They've obviously been working a lot on this. That's great. Uh, and it shows more than poor old um, Iron Fist's first season, which was a yes. bit patchy. It's a key part of it too. Like I think nailing that that fight stuff, especially for Daredevil, who's obviously meant to be using sensors and things mm. and the way he moves. Mm. 
I mean, it's a really important part of it. So yeah. he's always done that well. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very three-dimensional uh, fighting style too. Yeah, uh, it reminds me a little bit of Captain America. Mm-hmm. With good reason too. Uh, okay. Um, anyway, I can say nothing bad about Charlie Cox in this one. He makes the the Daredevil character Matt makes these decisions that are absolutely insane. Oh. He does have a flair for uh, an ill-advised decision. Yes, yes, yes. His cunning plans are not really good in this, but that's that's all for the good. You know, he yeah. can't be invincible. Uh, what is Daredevil's um, fallacy? Uh, I mean, fallible. Man without fear. That's right. Oh. Yeah, and he could actually do just have a little fear, Matt. Mm. Just a little bit. He, he can be very gung ho in certain areas, <sighs> and you kind of just want to say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Just. Yes, he needs legal advice, and the problem is, is his own lawyer. He doesn't take his own. <laughs> he he would give good advice to other people, but be someone who does not take his own good advice. Yeah, he has sure. no good advice. <laughs> uh, Foggy Nelson is back, and Karen Page, uh, and their places in the legal profession and as a journalist in Karen's case are also challenged uh-huh. in this story. Uh, I like the ensemble feeling of this show. Uh, we get to see Foggy's family, oh. and um, we find out really what that character, what a solid hero he is in himself, Yeah, even without powers. He reminds me a bit of like a Samwise Gamgee kind of... He's got a little bit of the look of it too, of um, mm. Cyril Aston in the, that role. Eldon Henson once again plays um, Foggy, and Deborah Ann Wall is Karen Page, and they are doing a really good job in this one. Great casting. I really think the casting... Mm. In Daredevil's very good. Uh, and especially Karen's own spiral into darkness in this season as well. Yeah, she can be a little annoying. But I think that's the character, so I think she's she a does jur- it well. She's a journalist. She just, I don't know. <laughs> a new character, well, um, one that having new emphasis on in this one is um, uh, Jay Ali playing FBI Special Agent um, Ray Nadim. Oh. Uh, he's actually... a. A family man and his conflicts with his job, um, especially since he's the guy who's handling Fisk in oh, the safe that house. Fellow. Being, yep, yeah, yep, yep. yeah. Uh, and, and for some reason, because he's called Ray, uh, mm. I keep thinking of him as the cop in um, Everyone Loves Raymond. He's oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. He's just, <laughs> he's just got that kind of presence for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, and of course, we have. Um, Vinny playing Wilson Fisk as the kingpin. And he continues to be one of the powerhouse MCU villains. Uh, he's got that physicality of the ever-dangerous killer and bully. Mm-hmm. Um, a potential lethality crackles off his often hulking form. Like, really, you don't want to go in the same room with this guy. And just mm. watching him, you're thinking you're highly aware of it. Yeah. Like, his fingers are twitching beyond that controlled facade and those neat white suits. And and he plays a bit... Uh, it's not just a physicality in this one because he is actually in a safe house and he's not supposed to be killing anyone personally. <laughs> he's not supposed to be killing. No, no. Uh, he's a bit like Hannibal Lecter here in that he's able to get inside your head but without yeah. opening the lid up and snacking on your brains at the same time. Although, early days. And he's driven by his... Um, his own compulsive need to dominate and assert control and not mm. be a victim because he has a history. Um, and he's driven by his relationship with uh, the woman Vanessa. Yes. Who we saw in the uh, other seasons. I tell you, being in prison, it's just meant that he's been less comfortable. Yeah. Because <laughs> he rules. He ruled the prison he was in and he rules this safe house. I don't think he really has to be afraid of much. No. Um they use 
images of the actor to inhabit people's heads mm. during conversations that they're having with their inner demons, which, you know, in a lot of cases turns out to be Fisk. Yeah, right. And there's some really good um, cinematography where he's in the background but not. Yeah. Um, and I know some of these are common tricks, but it it really elevates this show. You feel yeah. like you're in a, a very taut psychodrama. Yeah. And I think he plays it that way too. It's not just like he's not this cartoon cigar smoking no, kind of villain. No. He's very, um, yeah, he plays it with this kind of simmering, mm. yeah, very sinister. Speaking of, of psychodrama, Wilson Bethel plays Benjamin Dex Poindexter. Oh. I like his uh, name, Poindexter, who he is. And this is kind of a slight spoiler, but not really. He is the, um, the supervillain Bill, Bullseye. Ah, right, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and he's much, you know, in the Marvel universe, you often have the, uh, and in a lot of superhero stuff too, the um, the nemesis of the character, the uh, the counter, will be almost a mirror verse version of the the hero, yeah. So that you can explore aspects of their personality. What if they went wrong? I like that. Yeah. So he he is that, um, and he's also a kind of a mini Fisk, um, which is boggles the mind. The actor Wilson Bethel played um, Scott Carpenter in the Astronauts Wives Club and also I've seen him in um, uh, a movie about tunnel rats in um, Vietnam. Uh, He's been a soldier, an FBI agent, a suicide hotline phone answerer in this story, the character. Um, And it's a bit like a diary of a psychopath, how he got that way. Mm. Uh, And Okay, some of that, you know, I don't know. I have no... We have to ask the um, the doctors on Triple R what they thought of the portrayal of his um, psychosis in this. Yeah, how accurate it is. Or yeah. There's been some liberties taken, which no doubt there has Oh, been. it's bullseye. It must be absolutely dead accurate. Uh, Fisk declares what he wants out of bullseye. The city needs a new villain to distract it from him. Mm. <laughs> and, and Fisk is like literally his new North Star, his... Um, his the, the the thing that he orbits around the yeah like a, that figure of yeah and seeing the, the seduction of um, of uh, Dex by the Fisk character it's actually an amazing piece of work mm. and you think oh this is this is quite scary uh, anyway um, yeah I'm I'm eight episodes in um, I I do find it compelling this is one of those ones if you're into it it just keeps pulling you back and let's watch another episode okay all right. <laughs> so, because it hadn't grabbed me straight off. This is this is the thing. Um, everybody sits in a different spot on the couch, mm. you know, except never sit in Sheldon Cooper's spot. <laughs> and uh, what doesn't what doesn't grab you about it? I'm curious. I'm not sure. I mean, I think. I mean, I didn't mind some of the whole crisis of faith stuff they were doing. I quite like that, and I like him as Matt Murdock. I think I just felt. I don't know, a bit fatigued by it. Yeah. And I just wasn't sure exactly. And it starts off a little bit slower, mm-hmm. um, but obviously, which makes sense because in some ways they've got to build him back up again. But it ha- actually does happen quite fast in that they're like, he's back on his feet yeah. <laughs> within one episode. But I guess building into what the story would be, I hadn't really gotten to that much yet. So I should give it a bit more of a chance for it to show me exactly where it's going. Yeah. Um, so admittedly, I probably haven't given it as much room as I could have. So. Mm. But it could also be that I just wasn't in the headspace to jump back into Daredevil yet. Superhero fatigue? Maybe. But yeah. that, oh, no, because I'm very, I'm very um, 
Okay, he's not Deadpool. <laughs> he's not Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I'll give it another crack. Okay. Um, don't have to. <laughs> it could also be that I was, I think I was looking, snooping around for something newer, like yeah. something that I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it could be there's a day where I'm like, oh, I want to delve back into this. So mm. we'll see. I'll give it another crack because I do like the Daredevil series. So be good to see. And if you've liked it, I think it would at least be good to see where they're going. Yeah, I just... Um I, 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 the this sort of street level superhero uh, is kind of different for me. You know, it's like Tony Stark, Iron Man. Yeah. He's not really down on oh, that level. Like, no, no. <laughs> he's either in the gutter or flying high above it. Exactly. No, I do. I love the street level um, superhero stuff, but yeah, I don't know. I probably I didn't love season two, so maybe that had something to do with it as well. So I actually can't remember too much about that. Well, this is it. Maybe yeah. that's. Um, but I like Defenders. So anyway. Oh yes, that's all right. They had. Um, yeah, that was where his uh, mentor got killed, and, and it's all and yeah, the, the hand and the foot and <laughs> <laughs> not the foot. That's Ninja Turtles. <laughs> all right, we'll have a track here, which is. Um, John uh, Passano's soundtrack for season three. Uh, And it is called Not Another Hallway. And, yes, there are indeed lots of hallway fights in this one and some some really great sort of just... Ah, there's a a hallway fight where um, Daredevil is in in a, a facility and it is just one of the most brutal ones I've seen on Daredevil so far. Oof. Yeah, and I'm sure the gravity was mostly defied in that Not Another Hallway track from Daredevil Season 3. Very tense. John Passano. You can tell there's a lot of biffo going on there, a lot of spin kicks. and Bones cracking and things. And a lot of parkour moves running up the side of the wall. And and, it really was a great fight. (laughs) Hi, I'm Lindsay Morgan. And I'm Reg Morgan. Uh, no, we're actually Colin and Cameron Cairns. Writers, directors of 100 Bloody Acres, and you're listening to Zero G. They're not psycho killers. They're just community radio broadcasters. Is that all right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now we're into uh, Doctor Who. Yes. Uh, Arachnids in the UK, which is the uh, third episode, I think, or is it the fourth? Fourth, fourth episode. Um, and, uh, well, it's a spider story mm-hmm. obviously and it's written by Chris Chibnall again yes. uh, with a different um, with a direct uh, different from the last one they do tend to do that I guess it um, makes sense when you think about it uh, well it's the Doctor getting back to Earth finally mm-hmm. well not finally really because it's only been a couple of episodes with the companions and they're rocked up in Sheffield yep and they haven't actually... Uh, this is a thing the TARDIS can do. It's only been half an hour after they left in spite yeah. of the adventures. In fact, the, the TARDIS... Convenient. The TARDIS can bring you back before you left, which gets complicated because you're not supposed to run into no. yourself. But anyway, um, so it's like almost all the companions are going to just chuff off now. They can go back to their lives. and We had to deal with that at some point because that was the premise. And we are spoiling last week's episode, not today's episode as well. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. This isn't the latest. No. Uh, and um, there's a very much a feeling that uh, they could actually all just walk off. Mm. Um and probably the most powerful moment, I mean, um, we go to Yasmin's place so they can have tea, which is kind of fun. Oh, yeah. 
um, and Ryan's sort of a little bit at loose ends. Mm. But Graham, Graham actually goes home for the mm. first time since he left with the doctor. Some lovely uh, scenes with him here. That's a really powerful moment when he goes back because his wife has died Mm. and he's been to the funeral and and look, most of us or a lot of us will have been through that situation and it's a heavy moment. Yeah. And I think they actually managed to make that have the feels that it required. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Uh, Once again, great acting from um, uh, Bradley Walsh. Yeah, I really think he sold that. Mm. He's a good character. The meta story, while we're actually there, is uh, spiders. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of them. Mm. As an Australian, I can't understand how making spiders smaller like the ones we see in the episode would actually be at all terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Little tiny spiders. Um, they're creepier than the animatronic spiders that the third Doctor had to battle in Planet of the Spiders. Mm-hmm. This is where we can go deep on some oh, of these Oh, okay. Things. Backstory. Mm-hmm. Doctor Who backstory. In fact, those spiders on the planet Metabilis 3 were responsible for the third Doctor regenerating into Tom Baker from okay. John Pertwee. Um, he really got beaten up by the old giant spiders. Uh, they were actually mutated Earth spiders too oh. from, a, a, from a colony spaceship. Um, he's a creature called the Rachnos, and there have actually been a whole lot of spider stuff. Stuff, yeah, and giant insects as well. Not that spiders are insects, they're arachnids, it's different. Well, there's lots of them anyway. Uh, and I thought this one was a, a quite good take on the idea. Yeah, I mean, personally, I could see again, and I mentioned this last week, um, that it's doing the thing where it's showing me as a new viewer, so uh-huh. I, I mean, you know, me as well as everyone, um, different types of episodes that I could expect from Doctor Who. Because this took another take on, you know, we've sort of done a historical one, something off world, and then this yeah. is like, oh, this is the world you know, but with a twist, kind of the Homer Simpson donut world thing. <laughs> um, um, and so, and it definitely had that feeling of the crime, the British crime procedural. Yeah. Like, let's figure out this weird thing. There's these other characters that get involved. It's very much becomes like a bottle show in the um, hotel, which we'll, we'll unpack a bit more of the story. But I thought that was all really familiar notes. And I was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, you're showing me another type of episode that we might do. Yeah. Hmm. Um, it's and a bit so, of a primer, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like a little sampler, like a Whitman sampler of different types of Doctor Who episodes. Spiders do have a gooey soft centre. Apart from the Doctor being smart, obviously, I didn't find there was anything here that was Doctor Who specific, like yeah. required the skills of a doctor and not just a smart person. Hmm. So, but anyway, I mean, not in a bad way at all. Uh, I, I like, because, you know, we've seen a lot of giant spider things outside of the Doctor, you know, eight-legged freaks, arachnophobia, big-ass spider. Uh, actually, it's big-ass spider. I just said big-ass because we're where we are. <laughs> so it's Australia. Uh, and, you know, Kingdom of the Spiders, you can go back to Tarantula. Mm. And there's so many of them. Um, I did like the take on this. The spiders are victims too. Yeah, I did like that. Uh, I felt bad at o- the end. Almost unique. Uh, and they get bonus points for making me have feels for a wheezy yeah, spider. You know. Agree. Uh, and lots of uh, Doctor Who fans will wonder why they couldn't have had the Doctor take the little critters in the TARDIS and drop them off on Metabilis Free amongst okay. their own kind or something like that. You know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I roam, did not think that. <laughs> to roam free with yeah. the other giant spiders. And when was the last time that any mutant spider movie actually bothered to make a plot point about the science of giant insects, arachnids, being unable to breathe because of their lung structure, mm. or whatever they call it? That's a complicated thing. Uh, they get bonus points for that. Yeah. Uh, they also did not go to the spiders uh, laying their eggs in the cobwebbed prey I'm glad and hatching we didn't out bother with all that because it's not true they wouldn't do that it doesn't happen um that's wasps doing Mm. it to spiders yeah not spiders doing it to people or or, uh their food or or whatever yeah no they they're much more impressive what they actually do i know that you know but there's none of that alien sort of xenomorph stuff we weren't really going body horror for this yeah although they are creepy enough if you're don't like spiders um i thought they didn't quite land the ending um, the doctor's talking about them being humanely killed. What are they going to do? Be suffocated in in uh, the panic room? Or? Yeah. And I also thought they were like, they deserve to have a natural, like, something or other, some natural death or whatever. And I was a little bit like, well, probably could just kill them <laughs> and then yeah. at least they're not in, slowly. In the old days, the brigadier... Um, of unit would have showed up and just, you know, three rounds rapid into the whole room and just killed them all and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I don't know. I mean, blowing them up or something that, would, that would have been happened. better. Yeah, yeah. I also was like, what about that one that was um, back at the apartment? Yes. We just forgot a, about that. A, a loose a loose strand of web there. And I didn't really think that that whole scenario, that didn't seem to fit as part of the puzzle for me. That was just mm. a thread for them to get involved. And I didn't think that... We needed that. We also had the the tropes of the evil CEO, again, not who sure owned that the hotel. Was necessary? No, Mr. Big from um, Sex in the City. Yes, uh, he wants to be president of the US, but he hates Donald Trump, mm. which is a terrible thing to find out that Donald Trump as president of the US is a thing in Doctor Who. I know. You could have had all sorts of alternative stuff. <laughs> they also had a go at guns. Um, shooting things like a civilised person, says the, uh, the CEO at some stage. Yeah. Uh, toxic waste. Yes. Which is something that's been used on Doctor Who a lot. It's a very environmentally responsible show. Um, the Green Death springs to mind about giant flies instead of uh, spiders in that one. Uh, and maggots. It's all very Ew. insecty. Uh, and the Doctor name dropped um, having met Amelia Earhart, which yes. is cute. Uh, you know, I think the, the the wobbly ending, I thought, didn't do good service to that strong concept of the insects being, the, the spiders being victims. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it kind of, it got wrapped up quite quickly. <laughs> wrapped up. <laughs> after a nice little portion in the middle of running around and a bit of trying to figure out things and stuff. I thought all of that was really well done and then it was like, bam. Mm. It felt like it could have been a good two-parter, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and then they would have had time to go and fix the ending. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that moment when the um, – not so much the, uh, the the spider as big as a dog, you know, that's sort of like, oh, yeah, like, that's quite, kind of cute. It's furry. It's got big eyes. All <laughs> 20 of them. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the having more than two that would freak me out. Yes, that bit where the, they stampede along the corridor roof and the yeah. walls and the floor towards you, that's a little bit, uh, right. yeah, you know, kill them with fire sort of stuff. Yeah. I'm actually good with spiders. Um, spiders and I, we, we get along quite well. I just feel that I like to know where they are at any one time. 
I'm a big person for capturing them live and then taking and them outside. Them oh, except, yeah. except I'm told that's not necessarily a good thing. If it's a house spider, then it's totally out of its environment oh. and you've just left it to a ghastly fate of freezing to death or being... Oh, no. <laughs> Don't no. tell me this. Do you know, just a, a big aside here, once I rescued a, a, a moth in a city building, mm. I got it in a, a glass and carefully took it out to the door and <gasps> fly and be free and, <laughs> and a bird <laughs> snatched it. Out of the air, two feet away from my face. It was like... Oh, it's a life lesson for you, Rip. Life lesson, yeah. All right, that was Doctor Who. Arachnids in the UK. I think they're still doing reasonably well and mm. the detailing's good, but on that one they really didn't quite make to... Get I felt the to sentimental it. Doctor companion ending was nice. Oh, yes, and she does also uh, warn the new... They all go with her again. Mm. Which the next we adventure. knew was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen. But she seriously warns them. You know, oh. it may not turn out the no. way you thought. And they all went, yeah, okay, whatever. But we'll <laughs> see because companions have gotten cynical before. All right. Um, and, of course, the new Doctor Who episode has already dropped on iview. Yes. And it will come out on the ABC tonight on free-to-air on free to air as well, about roughly close to 6 o'clock somewhere. And we shall cover that next, mm, next week. week. Uh, hi, this is Jim Beaver. I play Bobby Singer on the TV series Supernatural. And you're listening to 3RRRFM0G, you idiots. And on to Halloween, which has just passed in real life. Is it real life, do we call it? <laughs> real life and cultural life and uh, internet life, yes. Did you get any callers? Of, uh, no, but I was actually out uh, at the cinema watching the original Halloween. So if we did receive any callers... We would not have answered. Ah. So, but I did actually, because I went to uh, my local cinema mm-hmm. and there was a lot of people around, like kids and stuff, a lot of costumes and a lot of the shop fronts and things around there had like little lolly buckets and things. And it was quite a good atmosphere. Like I know there's a lot of cynical people that are like, oh, it's an American holiday. I'm like, it's fun. You dress up. It's I f- silly. Like, I, I feel a little a sad because I, I didn't, I forgot to. Um, disarm the man traps. <laughs> I haven't checked the pits. Got some skeletons down there yeah. now. <laughs> That's for next year. Yeah, That's exactly. a tradition. Just pre- drag them up, and then you've got your decorations sorted. Yeah, pre- preparation. That's all I that think. Counts. I think Halloween's fun. So, yeah. um, and yes, yeah, so we toddled off to see the new Halloween film, mm-hmm. which is also called. It's just called Halloween, isn't it? It is. It's it a is. bit confusing. Um, no, not really. It's like Crocodile Dundee isn't about crocodiles. So. <laughs> <laughs> this could be or not. All right. So, um, yeah, I, and I'd, I'd actually done the same thing. I'd, I'd made a point of watching the original Halloween, which I'd mm. never actually watched all the way through before. Oh, which, oh, I just, it's such a treat. I really love it. John Carpenter's original. And this is insane for me. Um, I like John Carpenter movies mm. up until a certain point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and here I am watching the movie all the way through for the first time with Jamie Lee Curtis yeah, and Donald Pleasant. But you and, hadn't. No, no. And this is like, and I hadn't even watched any of the sequels either. Oh well, see, and this is one of the things that I straight away I just looked up then to confirm is there's been a lot of Halloween films and exactly what's canon and what relates to what, mm-hmm. um, and I just double checked. That it's eleven films. It is of which there's different relationships between each one and mm-hmm. different decisions that have been made. So apparently now the timeline is original Halloween, new Halloween. Yep, everything else is is moot for uh, this film at least. The, this the, Halloween 2018. We're in Star Wars territory here. It's the the Halloween expanded universe has just contracted. It's just <laughs> zipped quite 
Because for me, I became interested in the Halloween franchise because Halloween H2O came out when I think I was in like year seven or something. I have seen that one. And it was when um, Scream and all of that had come out. It was that big influx of, I know we did last summer and all that, urban legend and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but she has a son. Like, why are they not talking about this son? Like, and then I realized that it's because everything has been wiped out between that happened after the 1978 to this new one is only referencing that first mm. film. So, In fact, there's a line in this new one about, uh, isn't he your brother? No, no, only, people only thought that. Yes, that throwaway <laughs> line, and that made me go, okay, they're playing with canon here. The original Halloween was in uh, 1978. The film was written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill and directed by Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the seminal slasher films of the 70s. Yes. Well, that's not, not, it's not, not correct to say that it's just the first slasher film because it's far from that. Yeah. You know, but nevertheless, it's one of the iconic and most influential ones. Um, the, <laughs> the villain's name is Michael Myers, also known as The Shape, and, and I have said this before, I dead set thought that it was Mike Myers. <laughs> uh, and... <laughs> And how could that be possible? No, I find that so hilarious. But <laughs> but no, I'd never corrected myself until I watched it. Oh, my God, what a stupid thing. And, of course, I've made it worse by telling people. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they made like $366 million, US dollars, worldwide, all of these Halloween films. Oh, from all of them. Yeah. Because there's been, yeah, sorry, how many did you say? There's been. Well, this is 11 now. Yeah, so. right. Because Rob Zombie did some reboots and there's also been some meta versions and there's been um, mm. all kinds of things thrown into the mix there. Jamie Lee Curtis once again plays Laurie Strode as she has uh, played in five of the 11 Halloween films. Yep. Um, and, of course, she was the original character there. And she's what they call the final girl trope. Yes. Um, she's a survivor in the originals. Everyone else gets knocked off for various reasons. And you could see the tropes, when I watched the original, you see the tropes being laid down there, basically. Oh, yeah. The promiscuous teens are going to get killed. Uh, they the, are so disrespectful in someone yeah. else's house. Anyway. The, oh. And they're babysitters, too. Oh. Enough said. I know. The, um, the, the person who's cynical about the thing is going, yes. you know, it's at the, all there. Um, the Laurie's got her head firmly on her shoulders and it's insinuated that that's why... Somebody has to have... <laughs> you know, that's what... Because she's got the smarts, but she's also... She's the good girl. Yeah. But this this new film turns it all on its, on its mm. head, basically. Uh, and they're, they're making a thing about this being the Me Too generation sort of... Um, feminist take on it and it is in a way um there's a, a bit i mean it does talk a bit about trauma and it's a very female driven cast as well mm-hmm. in that it, the story is large because you know it's not your usual teen slasher i mean there's teens in it but it's very much focused on laurie who by now is 20 years older 30 40, no, 40 years old 40 i was like no that's older. not right yeah 40 years older and also her daughter and her granddaughter and so it's very much about this female driven kind mm. of core set of characters, mm. which I liked. Uh, and, um, well, you know, don't want to spoil it too much, but um, as we said, they're kind of turning the tropes on the, their head mm. for this one. Um, and, I, and sometimes I feel like um, Easter egging in a film, which is kind of like throwing eggs at a house at Halloween, um, it's become a fetish. Mm. And, you know, you can read, like, pages of, and they've done this and they've brought yeah. this person back, but now they're playing this person as if it's supposed to be something... 
absolutely mega cool. Yeah. And I know I get caught up in that sometimes, but I'll pause for a moment and think about that and think, well, you know, it's just um, background material and it's nice to have there, but it isn't the be-all and end-all of the film. No. It's and it's, Unless when, it's a Tarantino one. Well. In which case it's the whole film. When films get too wrapped up in their own cleverness is when I think it. It's a, you know, and Easter eggs are fun as long as it's not all about it's not all about the Easter eggs. Yeah. But there's quite a few. I thought it was interesting. There's a lot of a few shots in this that are direct mirrors of shots that were in the oh, original. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I like something that they've done in Halloween a little bit is like they've made something of this relationship between Michael Miles and Laurie Strode. Be it like they do it here too in terms of the victim and the victimizer and the kind yeah. of long term effects of fear and. Revenge and things like that. And it's I think destiny it's quite, in this one. Yeah, they talk a lot about that connection between... Anyway, it's quite interesting and I think probably there's something there around, um, yeah, victims and, and their sort of the different relationships that you can have with someone who can terrorise you in different ways. So, And once again, we have a, a dodgy psychiatrist. They're all been dodgy in all of those oh, films. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we have some new characters in this one. I thought it was amused... It amused me the... Uh, uh, the podcasters, the true crime podcasters. I did like that. No, I mean, as a lover of true crime podcasts, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's fair. That's yeah, a fair jab. It's a fair jab. <laughs> um, but and they're British too. I know. They were, I was just like, oh god, yeah, you guys are annoying. <laughs> but I did. I mean, this is um, watching the original and this sort of in a similar couple of day time span. It's it's a lot gorier, which I think is a reflection of. The Times as well, maybe. Because, hmm. I mean, the original's gory, but it's sort of silly as well. On one of the Easter eggs, they do actually use Nick Castle, who played the Michael Myers, the shape character in the original one. They do use him. Oh, He's do still they? around. Yes. Okay. So you've actually got um, the original one versus the original victim sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah. Uh, I, I thought it's, um, and some of, they've, said, they've mentioned this in interviews, and it, it is true, it's very much a neighbourhood film. Mm. You, feel, you feel the space yes. around you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I like that. They do use that, um, go back to the trope of it's Halloween, mm. and therefore this creature can walk around the streets. Freely. Freely, which, yeah. is, which is fair enough. I understand that. So I, I felt that all of that worked quite well. Yeah. And it's brisk. So mm. they just move right along. Yeah. They're not there to mess around. Like this this is like bam, 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 this is what's happening. Yeah. Nick Castle said that he based the uh, the movements for his Michael Myers character upon a cat, ah. like the ultimate sort of predator. It just goes and does what it does. I can see that too, like head, the head movements and things sometimes as well. Like, yeah. Interesting. Very Force interesting. of nature in, in a lot of ways. Um, I think... Jamie Lee Curtis really owns this role by now. If she doesn't, yeah. she's in trouble. Um, <laughs> and she's made some really intelligent um, speculation about where the character would have gone. Yeah. And in a way, it's 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 picking up on that trope of um, the butt kicking chick, the Sigourney Weaver, the you know. Yeah. But so, but in a different way too. There's that edge as well of like exactly how horrible that would be as well. Like she's yeah. a survivor, but that's weighed on her, and they sort of bring that out that. You know, she's not just gone on to live this normal life necessarily. It's weighed on her. It's really hard to say. A sequel that's 40 years later. We've Mm. had that before in some uh, genre stuff like Tron and Tron 2, for example. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the Halloween H2O, that was the 20 years later. That is horrifying to think that that was 20 years ago that that was released. 
Well, oh, I'm old. <laughs> I can remember when this came out. Yeah, it's wow. It's the original one in 78. I hadn't even know. thought about that, like 20 years and now 40 years. It was a time when, uh, you know, it was just after 77 Star Wars and you were into, like, Close Encounters and Superman and after that Star Trek The Motion Picture and Alien. So that was this nexus of... of and now they're all... I mean, they're all still here, aren't they, 40 years later? Yeah. All the things you just mentioned. All there's that boomer stuff. El- there's repeats or reboots <laughs> or sequels of everything you just said, pretty much. Yeah. I just found out the other day that millennials, the, um, the, the age group is, like, starts in the 80s. Yeah, millennials. I'm technically a millennial. What do they call people who were born in 2000 then? Is that Generation Z or something? They or? call them... Oh, that's a good question. I did know that at some point. Whippersnappers. <laughs> the whippersnappers. <laughs> but people always like to say things about millennials and... And they're 18 this year. And it's like, oh, you know... Oh, look, here you go. The generation after millennials, Generation Z. Yeah. People born... From the mid nineteen nineties to the early two thousands, which makes sense. Z um, zombies, uh, phone zombies. It's perfect. Mm, interesting, <laughs> but everyone keeps ragging on millennials. I think we should talk a bit about Generation Z. Yes, and but there's all talk about like there's in between generations and things and all this other jazz. Anyway, we, we, we've gotten off track there. <laughs> um, and we got a yeah, nah, maybe for Halloween. Yeah, I think it's a good yeah. I mean, I think for me. It would have been good to go in knowing that I was to wipe out of my brain everything that had happened between the first movie and now. Have you seen a lot of those? No, I think I've seen a couple of the... I've seen H2O, obviously. I think I've seen the Halloween Resurrection one. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen the Rob Zombie ones, but I know that they were kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. But I think just to know that H2O, I was just to forget about that. But to be fair, I kind of had, like, I'd watched the original, which to me stands on its own as a fabulous film. Uh So I kind of had only watched those two in tandem anyway. So I really thought, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing. I think that it's fun film. I think it has some interesting things to say as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's very much of the times, isn't it? Yeah, and I also think, but it's not like, this is all a metaphor. It's just, this is a great film. It's a lot of fun. It does some good things with the franchise. Um, and it's a horror movie and it's not... Look, I wasn't scared at any point. No. And I didn't really jump. I jumped more in the original than this, but I still... I enjoyed it and I think if you enjoy um, the original, it's worth a watch. It's a good homage. Uh, it doesn't... It does no harm to the original. It adds an interesting dimension. I think it's a good, solid sequel. I think that's a good point. Yeah, it doesn't harm the original. Uh, in spite of a great deal of harm being dished out throughout this entire thing. Exactly, other types of harm, uh, yes. You're going to hate me for saying this, people. There are some inventive and creative kills in it. That's a really technical prosthetic makeup thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, my God. We don't a- always need to die. I, I, what's wrong with a good old-fashioned stabbing? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, And um, I thought that... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was great in this, but all the, so all the other actors made a really good ensemble too. Yeah. And... Judy Greer is great in everything, and she's mm. very underrated. Kudos to the uh, God. I hope I got her name. Whoever right. managed to, yeah, it does sound. Yeah, that's right. Whoever managed to keep the uh, the, the, the mask, the William Shatner mask, mm. for forty years in some police evidence lockup. I do like how they've weathered it as well. Yeah, it looks different. 
Well, I'm here to tell you that latex masks, even the really solid ones that you do often find in costume hire shops, um, they do degrade, they mm. shrink, they crack, and they've actually done that for this one. I liked that. I think like that, that effect was, was But good. actually it wouldn't be wearable at all. It would just have gone... Oh, it would be foul. It would be flaking, falling apart. It would be solid. It would actually go hard or something. Mm. But, you know, but, you know I, I thought that would all work quite well. Anyway, uh, and the opening scenes in the film, yes. really great. Opening scenes. Yeah. Yeah, in, 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 in the Institute. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was, I mean, that's so implausible, but it was. I know. It was, it was Hanna- a good setup. Hannibal Lecter stuff. It was a very good setup. Hmm. I'll, give, I'll give you a year too. Yeah. Uh, just a quick note that, um, and that was Halloween, actually, by the way, whose director we didn't even know. Oh, we didn't even mention anybody yeah, <laughs> on the production that. team. Sorry, guys. Uh, but the, that doesn't matter because the director I'd never heard of before anyway, so. <laughs> We will know now. And we said we like the film and to check it out. Come on, that's all we need to do. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Giving um, them some business. <laughs> that's appalling. David Gordon Green, Green is the director. So well done, Mr Green, whose catalogue before now has basically been coming-of-age tales. Oh, really? Like what? Uh, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I wouldn't know any of them. Um, although they've kind of southern gothic, so you'd think I would, but I didn't. Oh, southern gothic. And it's written by Je- by Mr. Green, Jeff Fradley, and Danny McBride. Cool. Uh, okay, a little bit of a, a note that um, Penny Dreadful, they've set up a, uh, a sequel series. Ooh. Set in 1930s Los Angeles. Nice. And again, John Logan is um, going to return a showrunner, and this is by Showtime. Cool. Instead, I'm really pleased about that. And there's a picture of um, um, the uh, the Day of the Dead um sort of um, Mexican mm-hmm. um, goddess. Cool. So a little bit from, not, not Book of Life quite, but yeah. Yeah, nice. Oh, okay. I'm so, I'm so up for that. Uh, anyway, uh, and that's it for Zero G for today. We will go out with a track called um, New Killer Star, which mm-hmm. I thought sort of fit, but it's also kind of a pun, isn't it? Nuclear Star, New mm-hmm. Killer Star. Love it. David Bowie, uh, a re- reality tour. And um, this is a live version of that. And up next, Dan Keeley, I think, with um, Astral Glamour. And thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you to our new podcaster, Kayla Larson. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.